Welcome to Decades From Home, a podcast about the weird and wonderful side of living in Germany. And all without saying, Mahlzeit! Mahlzeit! Mahlzeit? Mahlzeit! 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 I'm Nick Houghton of 40%German.com and I'm joined by my co-host Simon Mannix. How are you, Simon? Everything's alright, mate. Everything's alright. I'm feeling a bit hungry now, after all this Mahlzeit chat. Probably should have had a sandwich before we got going on this. Um, but yeah, everything's good. Everything's good. Do you even know what the word Mahlzeit means? Eating time, I guess. Now. Like, eating time is the direct translation, which sounds bizarre. Mahlzeit is like the greeting you'd give to someone from like maybe 10 o'clock onwards until 2? Is it two? Is 2 too late for a Mahlzeit? guess 2 o'clock. I'd say 2 o'clock's fair enough. But yeah, it, it seems to replace any other greeting for a large period of the day and especially in our region uh, of germany and as you say definitely in a corporate environment people just say this to everyone they walk past the amount of times i walked through a, a campus of a company and everyone was hitting me with a outside instead of uh uh grus gott or a hello or a servus um so yeah it's, it's a bit of a weird one my brother-in-law has said multi to us but he might have been being ironic he said it in a tone of voice in a way and like with a wink that suggested that it wasn't entirely serious is this his way of like saying that you put on a pound or two like, <laughs> I hope not. Too, too many multi's boy <laughs> he, say, he says it to me all the time no um, i have no idea yeah it does seem to be exclusively corporate environments where i've met a lot i wouldn't say it to the people like in my bakery if i was there at lunch but i definitely hit him with a servus or a grew squad if i'm feeling a bit fruity or a hallucian if i'm feeling <laughs> really fresh uh, with my favorite uh, bakery lady she's lovely so i'm a lucky boy it was my birthday recently and for my birthday uh, my wonderful co-host nick pre- presented me with I, d- I don't know what the correct term is a punnet uh, feels <laughs> right a punnet of hot cross buns a wealth uh, yeah it is a wealth uh, i've still got plenty left uh filling uh but yeah, hot cross buns are back on the menu this is something that i've had multiple addictions to uh, in my life when i saw them in the supermarket it was like oh my god hot cross bun season i'm not a religious person i don't care about easter but i i am very passionate about hot cross buns uh so yeah thank you nick uh for brightening up my birthday with some hot cross buns uh you're a ledge you've got to have hot cross buns not just on your birthday but surely just as part of easter i mean they have the same thing here don't they it's fruit frulings mm-hmm. brought uh and it's like fruity bread but in britain no point really describing them, is there? Because it's basically exactly what they are. <laughs> they're hot and they've got crosses on them and they are buns. Norma do a Rosinenbrötchen that's very it's very similar. Uh, it doesn't have the cross on it, but the, the sort of the fluffiness of the pastry and, and the spice mix and the raisins, they're all there. If I'm ever in a Norma, which I don't normally go to, I don't have any locally, but if I do go to Norma, I am getting myself some Rosinenbrötchen, that's for sure. I always find they're a little bit too thin. That sounds like a pedantic comment, but when you see a proper hot cross bun, it's quite thick, isn't it? Like when you toast a hot cross bun, yeah. it should be, it should be able to take it, you know. <laughs> I don't want to put a rosin brochin in a, a toaster in case it like just incinerates it. Yeah, I think it's definitely more flammable, <laughs> more, more tender. <laughs> Yeah, of course, this obviously leads us to the topic for this week. This week, we're talking food-related things, and we're looking at sandwiches, kebabs, and for dessert, a nice bit of cafe and cooking. Before we unpack our sandwiches... <laughs> did, you, did you like my joke, Simon? Did you like this joke what I wrote? Yeah. I mean, it's it's a pretty good sandwich pun. Like... It's not. It's not a rich well. <laughs> would, you, would, you, would you say it was like a, like a five-star? What would you say? If it were a sandwich, it would be like a plain ham and butter. 
I'll take it before we unpack our sandwich topics. What is the food we both miss the most since we've been living in Germany? It's bacon. It's just it's bacon. Some days I crave other things, but I'll always yeah. be craving bacon in the back of my head. So despite my best efforts, and I'm sure Simon's best efforts, and having some minor successes, neither of us have managed to find a regular supply of proper Danish back bacon, which is the specific type of bacon that we crave. And we've eventually given up trying to find it. Well, at least I have. I don't know about you, Simon. Are you still looking for bacon? The dream the dream goes on. Like, I'm, not, I'm not giving up this quest. Like, I'm going to be here for the foreseeable future, and I can't let that dream die it's just it's going to be part of me wherever i go i think outside of finding a a fortunate english vodka in lidl or english week in the lidl supermarket most people probably wouldn't give up as easily as i would i'm constantly reminded of of bacon's existence most of the time it's when i'm facetiming my family and happen to do it breakfast on a saturday and someone's eating a bacon sandwich other times i'm just having very vivid bacon themed dreams so <laughs> what 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 can i do in germany is there a way of finding some kind of bacon options when you moved from certainly from britain to germany well, i mean the german listeners now will be fizzing we, we've got bacon like my shop sells it if i go to my local shop i will go to the the, the meat section i will find something called bacon and it will proudly exclaim itself sometimes to even be breakfast bacon but it is not what we're looking for it's very good it's like, i mean it's, it's lovely it's fantastic but it's not as as nick said earlier danish back bacon the bacon you get here is good it's got a lovely flavor my main issue is thickness yeah speck is usually a bit thinner right i like the speck cubes you get little pre-diced cubes of bacon which is quite nice if you can't find other bacon options that is always a good option to go mm-hmm. for but to cook with the bacon here is really good it does give you the flavor you're looking for really good for crunch uh, as well so like good for salads and things like that but it's not the same and it doesn't have the substance to just put it on its own between a couple of pieces of bread yeah i bought some bacon it was american style thin strip bacon which is nice it's not terrible but again it's this very hyper specific thing that we've all decided to concentrate quite a lot on i think a lot of the british <laughs> i was watching you know the the stories about supermarkets and British supermarkets in Belgium and Spain haven't uh, troubled getting supplies in mm-hmm. because of Brexit. Uh, one of the things that the, I think it was in the Belgian news story that I saw, uh, they were interviewing an English woman and she was like, well, they almost ran out of bacon. <laughs> I was just like, <laughs> I was like yeah, I know how you feel. I know how you feel. Yeah, they almost ran out of bacon. I get you. I get you. The other thing I was thinking though was <laughs> even if you could get the bacon, German bread isn't exactly constructed or baked or prepared in a way that would be conducive to a good bacon sandwich. What do you think? I mean, this is the crux of, of this issue, really. Obviously, we're not we're not here to criticise German bread. Speak for yourself! <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to be poking that particular hive of bees uh, by criticising German bread. It is, it's an incredible quality product. Like, no matter where you go, you're going to get good bread. And of course, when you ask Germans about how they feel about British bread, they will all have the same opinion, that it's just Trash, sugary, white nonsense. Now that criticism may be fair, there is more sugar, there's more salt in our in our bread back home. Definitely. Not but, disagreeing with that. But it is the building blocks of wonderful range and diversity of sandwiches that you can't quite do with your standard German Brötchen, a bread roll or whatever you like. And if you do go to a supermarket and find uh, what we would consider like sliced white bread, 
like people will look at you like, when you're buying it like they're not impressed and like if they think you you're a father they're going to be like this is a bad parent <laughs> he's come to germany to give them this this terrible toast broad i think this is this is we'll get into this a bit further down the line but it's the quality is so high it's too good it's too well made it's too traditional it's too like all the things that you like about it is is the reason why it doesn't make good bacon sandwiches because the option of frying a um, piece of bread before making it into a bacon sandwich should be there or thereabouts. I think you just need to repeat that for our German our German listeners. He, he did say that, fry a piece of bread. I don't think that's such a <laughs> radical concept. I'm sure our dear listeners are prepared for such bold manoeuvres as to fry a piece of bread. Now, have you tried frying a piece of Volcom broad? Because I have. Guess what happens? Not a lot. Basically sucks up all the oil and it becomes like a reservoir. For, it's like a good way of moving oil from one place to another. That's what it is. The Gulf of Mexico needed cold corn. But, it, but the, the thing, the reason toast broke toast in that way is because it's dirt cheap. It's like made most of its paper. Let's be honest. It's it's not. And it is cheap and it's made with the chemicals and all of those things. But it's kind of why... It, it works because it needs to be a bit spongy and needs to not lose the elasticity. That's the perfect accompaniment to bacon and a bacon sandwich is it needs to be spongy enough to bite into that it's not too hard, but it also has to hold its shape. And you're only going to get that from like cheap white bread, really, aren't you? I'm genuinely feeling a little homesick. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, dude. But it's years. true, it's true, right? I'm a, I don't think, I, maybe I've thought about it too long. I think we've both probably thought about this a bit too long, but uh, this is what happens when you, you, you're in lockdown and you don't have access to, to bacon. <laughs> Not being able to find bacon is obviously a slightly traumatic thing for Simon and I, but there are other things you can introduce to become your new food obsessions in Germany. I discovered a couple of interesting things that I've become slightly addicted to, which are... First of all, Pfefferbeiser. Pfefferbeiser are basically sausage sticks. Sounds delicious. Sausage sticks. Uh, they don't look particularly great, but I tell you, man, like give you, you buy them and they and you dry them out for a couple of days and they're they're, they're like a luxury pepperoni. That's what it is. It's amazing, right? Okay. So that's the first thing. The other thing was um, Walnussbrot, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's walnut bread, and then we've got Schupfnudel, which is a, a particular type of bavarian pasta and it is so good it's in so many different things you can have it as a side or sometimes it's the main thing but and there's different types uh if you break it even down further there's like a type that's made with potato that some people call shoof noodle and there's a type that's more like like just pasta but uh, it's just so good and you fry it a bit ah it's just the best really is amazing so there's plenty of things out there you can replace them with what about you have you got any uh, food obsession replacements it would be Haxen uh, or Schäufele. Both big chunks of pork with crackling, roasted to perfection. Oh. <laughs> That's exactly I mean, yeah, I don't eat those often because I, I don't think my heart could take it. But those are definitely things that I love. Usually you can find a replacement for things, whether it's replacing bacon with sausage sticks. But the one thing that I've not really ever found a replacement for, the thing that's hardest to find even than perhaps bacon, is a decent sandwich. In theory, Germany has all the makings of one of the greatest sandwich nations of all time. Basics are all there. The bread isn't clearly an institution. Salad is an obsession. And so many types of sliced meat. It would need five back-to-back special episodes just to do all of those different types of meat justice. So 
Simon, what's your favourite sliced German meat and what kind of sandwich is it going into? It's such a good selection of sliced German meat. So there's some that are a little bit daunting, I think, when you look at them in the supermarket, if you don't know what it is. Yeah. But the, the two that I, I always have in my fridge, uh, one is Krusten Schinken. Um, so it's like a, a, a baked ham uh, with like the rind left on and you get a little, little crispy ring of like fat and, and, and skin that's probably my favourite pairs beautifully with a little bit of cheddar so that's my Anglo-German sandwich meshing there the other one that's always in our fridge is Schwarzwälder Schinken uh, so this is like a smoked uh, cured ham uh, from the Schwarzwald from the Black Forest um, it's a beautiful beautiful ham that goes really well with everything uh, it's great as sort of part of the sandwich filling but it's also grand enough to be part of uh, your broadside just for like a cheese board a bit of Schwarzwald would be a, a hit when I was thinking about what my favourites were my mind instantly went to my local butchers I think he's an, among some of the closest people in my <laughs> life <laughs> with the interactions I have with my butcher uh, it's great there's a lot of great interactions that I have with my butcher going to the butcher's section uh, and certainly going to the cold meat section of the butchers is, is it's a trip because there's so many amazing options because that's the thing it's like he's it, basically going like look this is the meat you can get like you can get this stuff that we've just cut up I mean, look at what we've done with it and it's just like so many things and there's always like <laughs> a loads of options and and the more independent the butcher the more wild the options seem to get and certainly you can you can find out down to where the farm is located where you're getting your food from so i find those interactions pretty pretty good i mean of course the prices obviously increase the more independent they've become that's definitely the case but when it comes to like sandwich meat it's just like anything that's pretty much in that section i don't think anything that isn't covered in jelly is probably <laughs> going to be okay in my mind so what's your what's your favorite type of sandwich i mean asking an englishman what their favorite sandwich is like asking them to like pick their favorite child i guess if they have a large family i mean prawn mayonnaise is one of my favorite sandwiches of all time even though it's really quite basic it's not very exciting really but i am uh, an absolute sucker uh, for a good prawn mayonnaise i also love egg mayonnaise as a sandwich filling that's a winner but when i was working back home in the uk i used to work uh, in a bookshop opposite uh, a, a very good marks and spencers and Marks and Spencer's, I guess, is probably the greatest purveyor of sandwiches like for the pre-made market. And they do a hoisin duck wrap. I would fight people for one of those. That was a real wonderful, <laughs> wonderful treat when I was feeling flush and willing to spend three quid instead of 120. Sandwiches are pretty much in every shop. Like that that's what it feels like in Britain. If it, like you've got a Muller or a, a DM or a Rossman are these sorts of the shops that sell some medical products, but they sell like bio uh, organic products. Some sell toys. There's like they're basically a multi-purpose shop. They've got lots of different things. You would get your deodorant there, and you'd also get your photos done there. That kind of place. And it's kind of like what the Americans, I guess, would call a drugstore. So it's like an everything shop in a lot of respect. But in Britain, if you go to a shop like that, you would get a sandwich section, like guaranteed. Yeah, you go, you walk into a Rossman or a DM if it was a British shop, and it would be something like a Boots or Double mm-hmm. H Smiths, Superdrug. Any of these places would just have loads of sandwiches. All the supermarkets would have pre-packed sandwiches, so you have sandwiches almost thrust upon you. 
Like you walk into a shop and it's like, here's a deal for sandwiches. And you're like, why do the, what's with the sandwiches there? And <laughs> why, why so many sandwiches? But so they're just like omnipresent all the time in British culture. <laughs> and you get to Germany and yeah, so I mean, let's get to it, I guess. The practice of most bakeries seems to be to serve some variant of salami, <laughs> cheese or ham. It's one of those three ingredients alternated and taken out. Sometimes it's all of them. Sometimes it's some of them. Occasionally there's tuna, but often it's mixed with onions or Miracle Whip. And Miracle Whip is like a (laughs) relic of the American occupation. Or it's just a love of American ingredients. And don't get me wrong, I'm not an enemy of Miracle Whip. Mm. I've certainly eaten enough of it in in my time in Germany. But it's just a very sweet condiment to put in to put into a sandwich is a bit strange right so uh tuna and milk whip taste like you're eating a fish dessert which is a bit disconcerting i think you can we could both agree on uh tuna seems an indelicate choice as well if you're planning to spend any time with other people and it's almost masochistic now that we're all wearing face masks like if you really hate yourself get 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 yourself a tuna tuna and mayonnaise sandwich in the sun so i'm feeling a little bit lucky in comparison like my, my local bakery has a, has a pretty decent range i mean yeah there is 100% salami is always there cheese is always there ham is always there um, but I mean my one does a, an amazing schnitzel sandwich on a flarden broad that's really really good they've also started it's called chicken venezia but it's basically a reformed chicken nugget in there with some like some remoulade and a bit of cheese and lettuce there's mortadella and pickles like, there's a little bit more variety to them uh, so I count myself relatively lucky with my with my local bakery. The sandwiches you've just listed are f- like amazing sandwiches, and I'd happily eat them if I was offered them, and I'd buy them if I saw them in a shop, whether it's Germany or or any other country. But to be fair, so I have to discount all of them for the same reason that would disqualify Olympic athletes for taking performance-enhancing drugs. Schnitzel, heron, Leberkäse are all effectively the nandrolone of sandwich fillings. The same goes for bacon, right? So BLT is a great sandwich, but as soon as you put bacon on it, on a sandwich, it's going to be in the top five sandwiches straight away. You can take any shit sandwich, any sandwich you didn't like, ham ham and cheese sandwich, bog standard sandwich, put bacon in it, it's already like number four, right? So you can't have bacon in it. And no meatballs, obviously. A meatball sub is is cheating. It's got to be, right? It's got to be. I would say so. But I'd say eggs. Eggs are okay if we're talking about, like, you've got to have, you can have egg mayonnaise. That makes sense. But bacon, meatballs, hamburgers, all of these things are all, yeah, it's troubling. <laughs> okay, so we're keeping it simple. With, like, we're trying to keep, keep it as simple as possible, yeah. Okay. So, I mean, giving credit to the German sandwiches, the bread, I mean, it's usually so good. The filling is, like, it's almost negligible. It doesn't really matter. But then... Jama bakers like have this like trick where they display their sandwiches in a way that I've got real beef with, and it suggests like the filling is the most important element. So like you go into a bakery before lunchtime, and it's like you see these like piles of sandwiches like freshly made, and they're presented like beautifully, <laughs> and they're like assembled so that the fillings just like peek out coquettishly for like everyone to see. Nick, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Are yeah, you a yeah. fan of like a peaking crescent of egg slices? How about a coy arrangement of salad? Perhaps an aloof slice of salami. How about a flirty slice of gouda? Ooh, filthy flirty gouda. <laughs> so it's not really until like you, you buy your sandwich, you get outside, take a bite into it and it's 
often the case that this crescent of egg is going to go flying down onto the street what you realize is that some enterprising person has like pushed all the ingredients out to the edge but what this actually means is you have to like take your sandwich apart and like realign everything so that everything is in the right place and can be eaten so you're not just getting like a mouthful just of like bread and remoulade i mean it's, it's a really perilous journey and this is sort of my my essential problem with german sandwiches because i mean nick's mentioned that in england in the UK, they are just they're everywhere, and it's such a big part of our culture. Just pick up a sandwich and go, and that doesn't work here. Like there's there's like next stage you have to do. Like you got to go to bakery, choose your sandwich, pay for sandwich, go outside, reassemble sandwich, throw out the shards of paprika and cucumber you don't necessarily want in that sandwich, and then finally eat said sandwich. Uh, it's much more of a dance than I like. Germany requires you to retune your sandwich before you can eat it. Since it's, it's totally mad, but it's an everyday thing. Do you have a Do you have a system? I, I don't have any dietary restrictions, so I pretty much just rearrange and then eat. Do you put it in a certain order? Or I mean, I mentioned paprika uh, or like peppers, as we would call them, and there seems to be this like German addiction to like getting peppers <laughs> into everything because like it's good for you or something. And I don't like fresh paprika in my sandwiches i find it overpoweringly sweet and this is another example of why my marriage is successful my wife really likes paprika so i have to give my paprika shards to her and i take nothing in return uh, i think <laughs> seems like a good foundation for for marital sandwiches yeah she's not forcing you to eat like some weird aspect of her sandwich no i mean i think it explains why there are so many engineers here in germany like everyone's having to do sandwiches every day i may well bemoan the lack of, qu- of quality sandwiches in germany but this more than likely reflects the fact that Germans take time over their lunches. Whether an on-site canteen or going to a simple bakery, most people prefer to sit down when they eat. Sandwiches don't have to be compact, hand-fitting and easily transportable if the plan is to order, sit down and take them for a proper break. Now, you always see someone in a bakery who's new to the country because they'll eat a sandwich in Germany and stand up and there'll be a ring of vegetables and salami (laughs) pieces around them like where they've been sitting like that's my feeling is that generally what when you eat a sandwich in germany it's meant to be eaten sat down and you're not meant to be running from one place to another or from one meeting to another is that the same experience you've had do you do you think it's that's the reason why sandwiches are so complex you don't really see people eating on the go in the same way as you do back home i I think it's really really normal to see someone walking down the street eating a sandwich I wouldn't think, oh, he's in a hurry or whatever. Like the only real thing is like maybe a donut box or a donut kebab. But generally speaking, people here do take time uh, over their meals, and you do also have a different culture when it comes to to food as a whole. Where I come from, for me, my my favourite big meal of the day is dinner. If I have a big lunch, like I'm not very effective in the second half of the workday, and I'd rather spend my time cooking in the evening when I have time to cook whereas I think for a lot of Germans especially people working in a corporate environment their main large meal of the day is going to be lunchtime uh, at the canteen and their evening meal could just be broadside which we've talked about before there are a lot of Germans that also think that you should only have like one hot meal a day whereas I think in the UK it would be perfectly feasible to have three hot meals in a day breakfast, lunch and dinner (laughs) yeah, yeah, totally, no problem problem Uh, that would be a really good day (laughs) as well, so there is definitely a difference I wouldn't judge anyone if they said to me, yeah, I eat two hot meals a day, whereas I think some Germans would be like that sounds a little bit excessive yeah, do you you go to the the corporate canteens and the, the companies you work at? I would normally avoid going to the canteens, I didn't find it a particularly relaxing environment for me because like 
you'd see like everyone obviously knows everyone else in one way or another and like you're the obvious like outsider but so normally i would i would stay in the classroom eat a sandwich and prepare for the lessons ahead one of the things i found really weird as well is that like maggie sauce it's just like in every single canteen on every single table and that's something i never really felt comfortable with so i guess that's another reason i avoided canteens just the f- fear of the unknown maggie yeah I, d- I still don't really understand what i'm meant to be putting it on so i just i don't know i'd just avoid it i'd prefer like tabasco sauce to be honest but but yeah i've never i've never used that i, d- I don't go to the, the canteens unless i'm invited uh i feel it's just a bit full-on it's a bit like school uh, i'd prefer just to stare blankly out the window <laughs> I think here in Germany to be seen sat at your desk eating lunch like it's, it's almost it's quite shocking to some people and um, whereas back home and in, in America especially it'd be like I'm working this hard uh, I, I can't even leave my desk like everything's being yeah. done from here and yeah you don't really see that here I, I guess that's probably healthy uh, because it, there is definitely it's, it's an origin of conflict as well like people heating up meals from home in the in the in the corporate kitchen uh, of your department, like can can be a, an issue for certain people. You do get the kitchens in offices though, and people do use them, but usually there it's more about getting a cup of coffee than it is about mm. heating food up. Some people have like snacks at their desks, so you will see people eating at the desks in the afternoon. Like if you saw someone eating the lunch at the desk, you'd ask them if everything was all right. You know, <laughs> like you like, okay, mate? You know, come to the canteen. But but I think there is in Britain. It's certainly a sign that you're working hard, or you're like, oh, I'm skipping lunch. I'm eating at my desk so I can work through. Whereas in Germany, I think it would be a sign of like you weren't very well organized or you you did have or you had like loads a of stress on or you had some, like, loads of projects <laughs> on that you were you needed to do that yeah the relationship with time is a little bit different as well i think most people in the uk think about lunch as like an hour whereas i've met a lot of people here where lunch is like half an hour you go to the canteen have your lunch mm. it's quickly delivered quickly eaten then you're back in the office but go, going back to sandwiches what you find even is like if there's a bakery near the place you work in that place is packed out when it comes to lunchtime uh, it'll be full of people and they're not all there to get a sandwich most people would like go there that like, most bakeries serve like pasta options or like full like schnitzel meals and things like that it's mm. not just people going there to buy a sandwich and, and a cake or something but it's not even that german sandwiches are that bad like i eat plenty of them and this is obviously we're just take taking taking the piss slightly when we're sort of being a bit mm. a bit full-on about it because i mean honestly it's just a sandwich isn't it but the thing that it is surprising that the options are quite limited like you talked about a, a hoisin duck wrap like you're never going to get that mm. like in any of the places maybe maybe you get that up north but certainly not, there's very few places around here where you're going to get it and you go to a supermarket that don't have like pre-packed sandwiches is it does feel like in britain like everyone's on the go that's almost what it is it's like like most of the mm. deals are like grab and go or something like that i don't know maybe it's just a more hectic lifestyle or i guess freshness is also a big thing the majority of germans they yeah. choose something fresh over something wrapped in plastic and that's a very 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 healthy default position to have yeah it's definitely a sensible option yeah yeah but the the englishman in me <laughs> like a good looking plastic wrapped sandwich uh, yeah I, i'd probably opt for it uh it probably says more about my poor <laughs> upbringing. no but that's just the point isn't it i kind of think when it comes to certainly to come to convenience food and there's no more convenient food in britain than a sandwich in a in a plastic box like it's meant to be a bit shit it's meant to be a bit bad and because in german bakeries the, what most customers want is quality and freshness it's not it's not going to be shit enough 
Like it's actually a, like a positive thing for Germany that their sandwiches are really good and really complex to eat because ultimately it means there's something right going on in the culture that there isn't just like quick eat this sandwich in your face go to work like gotta go here go there like that's the 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 culture of i think it's a positive positive thing (laughs) we've we've smacked it around a bit and now declared it amazing (laughs) don't think anyone could be upset Moving on, there was a time in my life where kebabs served as a sort of badge of honour. I'd somehow survived another night out. Despite the huge amounts of beer and numerous shots, I was still standing and I managed to stumble my way into one of the plethora of open till late kebab houses. It always kind of felt like to a winner goes the spoils. You survived this far, well done, have a kebab. More often than not, the menu was like a blur. Couldn't really read it very well. The price was completely inconsequential. As long as I had a fiver in my wallet, I was going to be all right. A kebab was the target. Participation medal earned. That was just good enough for me. So, I mean, Nick, is this the same story for you? Is this typical British behaviour? I guess it is typical British behavior i didn't i didn't go into the whole like kebab eating after drinking it wasn't it was stuff mm-hmm. that we ate but it wasn't it wasn't kebab so uh chicken pakora was a big one going to the chippy after being on the piss was quite common when we lived in scotland but you get things like deep fried pizza which is just it's graphic just saying those <laughs> those words together it's quite quite a thing but or you'd have like a scotch pie you had like loads of different options that weren't really available. It's like always just a straight kebab. But yeah, um, usually that's what happens in Britain. Location is a big thing. I mean, I spent three years as a student uh, in the Welsh city of Cardiff. Just off St Mary's, uh, there is the infamous Chippy Alley. Uh, Caroline Street uh, is its real name, but everyone calls it Chippy Alley. And it's the location of all manner of kebab houses, fast food joints every night uh, like kicking out time 11 o'clock for the pubs and then like two or three o'clock for the nightclubs the street would just be rammed with drunk patrons fighting their way to the front of the queue to get garlic or chili sauce drenched meat monstrosities and that just went on until the sun rose over the city this <laughs> carol street was just full of people just drunk covered in like sauce and beer and blood and vomit having the night of yeah. their lives i mean many fights started there like many romances started there as well <laughs> uh, all washed away in like cheap beer and nondescript meat products talks about garlic and chili sauce nick what's your uk kebab order you a garlic sauce man a chili you go for the veggies all of it man yeah. like a garlic sauce maybe not i'd probably have just chili sauce yeah everything just get like whatever i can get into this thing i'm gonna eat no problem and how much chili sauce are you asking for a bit or are you oh, like, I'm, a, I'm a sucker for chili sauce like i used to be able to eat like spicy food no problem right and i still can eat it no problem but what I, i've picked up along the way either through age or i don't know psychological damage is as soon as I eat something spicy, I start hiccuping. Okay. So like, it doesn't matter how spicy it is, it's just like a little bit spicy. And I can eat it, and I can eat it until like the end of time, and my, I'll, I'll enjoy it, but I'll, all the way through I'll be going... Uh, 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 like hiccuping my way through the meal, which is just, it doesn't look good on you. It never looks good when you eat something <laughs> spicy and you start hiccuping. It looks like everyone just thinks you're an idiot, but I'll do it anyway. I'll do it anyway. I think this does point in the direction of quite a poisonous part of like food culture in the UK, where like the hotter the better and so yeah, hot yeah. that it's impossible is a good thing. That's how I was. I'm, now I've aged, I've grown up, I have a wife, I've got cats. 
and I've spent over a year in lockdown now. What's mostly changed about my relationship with kebabs is that now I eat kebabs exclusively for lunch. My, my. <laughs> I'm going to say that again. Kebabs for lunch. Who'd have thunk it? Like madness. Like I don't even think kebab houses are open for lunch in the UK. There's no need for this like drunken stupor. There's no need for blurry eyes. No need for bouncers on the door controlling the crowd. Kebabs for lunch. It's magnificent. Is there any downside to kebabs for lunch? I'm not allowed onions, I know that. Yeah, so yeah, obviously it's it's not it's not great if you're gonna be standing next to anyone for any length of time or or it's in lockdown with another person in close proximity so yeah no onions it's something that's it speaks to how good the uh, kebabs are here that you get you can eat one for lunch you want to have one we walk past our kebab shop all the time and the smell of it is it's very enticing but eat one of those every day is probably not recommended because they are pretty pretty full on but yeah i can't see any downsides to kebabs for lunch there is a difference between the the english kebab and, and the german kebab that's for sure here in germany the standard like thin anemic pita bread used in the uk is switched out for like a toasted fladenbrot like a flatbread or a durum wrap um, which is like a, a turkish tortilla now the durum wrap you are going to have to pony up the surcharge i think most places about 20 cents 30 cents extra uh, so nick are you flash enough for the surcharge are you going to be paying that extra well you talked about eating food on the move and sandwiches on the move and i think if you're gonna if you're gonna be carrying your kebab anywhere then a durham wrap is the obvious thing to do and they're very well contained i find and they wrap them in a nice tinfoil like wrapper and it's all very it's all very cool like it's a good transportable food so there you have it nick is fancy paying for the durham surcharge what can i say I, I like the i like the finer things in life another difference is the chili sauce which we've already spoken about here it's like it's designed to taste good uh, as opposed to like overwhelm or annihilate all taste receptors uh salad as we said is is an institution here and it's an integral part of the content mm-hmm. gone is this like mound of meat garnished with like a single slice of tomato a ring of red onion and a leaf of limp lettuce here it's all very fresh beautiful looking flavoursome but you go to you go to British kebab places uh, that I used to go to and I'm, I'm sure they've improved <laughs> I hope so too yeah. I hope they've improved and you get a picture of what the kebab was meant to look like and it looked amazing <laughs> it looked like the things you get here and then what you'd actually get is this other thing and it was it was never it never sort of married together for me but here you they don't even have pictures you just know what you're going to get they're just like do you want this thing that you know is going to be amazing look there's a guy over there eating one look at it it's amazing <laughs> like, oh yes <laughs> i mean germans seem to acknowledge that like salad is mm-hmm. good for you and you're gonna bloody well eat it uh, i think that's a really positive thing that the uk could definitely introduce it's with a lunchtime kebab that you can like appreciate how far you've come in your salad game 19 year old me at uni would never have ordered a kebab with salad like i would have been sauce and meat only I, I was a bloody heathen but now i'm a real bloody adult and i embrace the diversity of my <laughs> mouth feel and like the added nutrition that it grants me in my kebab it's winning all around if that's not personal <laughs> development i'm not sure what is we were talking about transportable food like the only food you're going to see people walking around with is a kebab and i think it is because it's wrapped up in the durham and it's really easy to eat on the move but there is there is one rule right simon to eating and transporting your kebab what is that rule that you must follow very very strictly you don't eat it on public transport <laughs> right 
do not eat in on public see transport. This often. It's horrendous. Obviously, Corona has put pretty much an end to this. But the amount of times you'd get on like a bus or the underground and there'd be some teenager eating a kebab. The smell of kebab is wonderful. Like it's it's a glorious thing, but it is it's obnoxious at like eight in the morning on the way to the office that's how far the culture i mean people eating for bloody breakfast here never mind lunch it's a bit disrespectful it is quite an, an aggressive <laughs> aroma to put out compared to any other sandwich and even if you don't get garlic sauce or anything on it if it's just the meat even the meat is quite it's quite pungent it's got a very specific smell to it and it's really nice to have when you're gonna eat it but if someone is eating it it doesn't smell quite as wonderful, you know, or you're in close confines with someone eating one. It's never, never so good. Yeah, I don't know how we're going to change things in the UK, how we're going to get them to move away from having kebabs after drinking many, many, many different alcoholic beverages. What can we do to get, to get British people to embrace the kebabs for lunch philosophy? Hang on. Where's that music coming from? I say to the good people of the UK, petition your local councils, like write to your MP, rally your local small businesses and engage with your community. Kebabs for lunch. That seems sensible. Should I start a GoFundMe? See the light. Open yourself up to a new reality, a new possibility. Kebabs for lunch. Wait, is this a cult? It's beginning to sound a lot like a cult. Kebabs sober kebabs we can remember kebabs for lunch and to our german listeners or those based in germany to you i say go out into the world corona rules permitting and go find your dream kebab kebabs for lunch but what if my dream kebab is actually a falafel enjoy this magical treat that is on your very doorstep kebabs for lunch test your local joints test durham versus flavenbrock kebabs for lunch embrace the surcharge eat a kebab with only meat and chili sauce Actually, no, don't do that one. Otherwise, live. Live as hard as you bloody can. Kebabs for lunch. Should I call Merkel? I'm calling Merkel. I'm on hold. I think she's a bit busy at the moment. Kebabs for lunch. Fine, fine, fine. I'll wait. When faced with insurmountable odds, and when the chips are down, and all hope is lost, humans will often react in strange ways. Some panic, <laughs> others rage, but in Britain, we make a nice cup of tea. <laughs> Simon, I'm assuming you're a big fan of tea. Yeah, I, I, I'm a tea monster. I, I, I think when, when I tell people, especially my German friends and family, how much tea I actually drink, they can't quite calculate how much it is. Like, it's, it's shocking. So, yeah, I, I'm very happy. I just How much tea do you drink? I mean, anything from, like... On, on, on a quiet day like the minimum is five cups i guess absolute minimum maximum could be as high as 15 yeah five cups seems like a reasonable i'm probably under that i'd say maybe three cups four cups at a push on a busy day from the first thing i do in the morning to one of the last things i'll do at night i will have a late night tea uh, and i've just been gifted for my birthday my first ever teapot oh very uh, nice so now i'm living in a brave new world of making 1.2 liters of tea at a time the british over centuries have replaced real emotions with drinking tea are you in pain <laughs> simon mm, make a brew <laughs> feeling happy put the kettle on lost for yeah. words get the tea bags I'm no pessimist, but when England inevitably exit the upcoming European Championships via the medium of gut-wrenching penalty, I will stand up, a single tear rolling down my cheek, <laughs> and I will switch on the kettle. Is that not 
the British way. It is. It absolutely is. And I, I'm also saying here and now, I'm going to drink a cup of tea for every single Harry Kane goal. Well, that's a commitment. Come on, Harry. That is a commitment. I don't think I'm going to join you in that because, yeah, I, t- <laughs> I just think there's going to be problems. What if we play like a really small team and we batter them 6-0? Six cups of tea in 90 minutes. Asking a lot, like, it's asking a lot. I mean, there are levels to this game, and I am Premier League, <laughs> so, yeah, I've got this. So the British are well known for keeping their emotions in check, with two exceptions, when we're drunk or when some idiot makes tea the wrong way. Now, we've just spent most of the show shitting on sandwiches, so it would seem entirely unhypocritical that a British person would go a little bit angry about how tea's made. It's surprisingly upsetting <laughs> for people when they see how other people make tea. Do you have a particular tea methodology that you follow, Simon? I mean, if I'm in control of the show, it's going to be Yorkshire Tea, that, that brand exclusively, uh, and I'm going to stew my bag for three minutes on a timer do you have a timer i do i always have a timer for my tea and then bag out splash of milk i like it quite milky but that's why i have yorkshire because yorkshire's strong enough to take quite a lot of milk and still be a robust cuppa uh, the same amount of milk in a pg or a typhoo is going to be an absolute disaster uh, so brand is key time is key and yeah milk last i mean we've seen some mad theories in the last few years scientists trying to tell us that microwaving tea is the best way to make it and to these these heathens, I say, no, technology will not stand in my way. Boiling water in a three-minute timer. Leave me alone. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm terrible for making tea. I make like really bad cups of tea sometimes. Because most of the time I forget. I'll leave the, the tea bag in and I just forget. But I don't time it. So I'll like, go upstairs and I'll be doing something and I'll come down and it's lukewarm and it's bang in the microwave and then I've got a cup of tea. Not if I've got guests. If you're coming over, I'll make you your tea to your method. Because that's what a good host would do. But if it's just me making tea for myself, standards of quality dip and an increase erratically. <laughs> I think for most people, the bad the bad experiences with tea will come in the office environment, because uh, often you will have like a tea rotor where somebody has to make the tea for twelve other people, and making <laughs> one or two cups of tea is already it's quite a focused ordeal if you if you're me. It's an overload. Uh, but if you have twelve different people who want it in twelve different shades, twelve different brew lengths, twelve different amounts of sugar, like there's companies all over the UK have tea charts, Excel sheets with like color coded cells. So you know, oh Greg likes it wild, sort of a, a sort of medium tan, uh, that's his shade. Yeah. Off white. <laughs> Shirley likes it really milky. It's like an eggshell. It's like an identifier, isn't it, for British people? Like, you've got, like, your, this is my tea, yeah. type of tea, type of tea bags. Whereas in Germany, the, the tea bags are dictated by basically the water. Like, the water you get here is hard water, it's very calcium rich. And so I've used PG tips, and they just seem to have no impact. Some tea bags just have no impact. And you just put them in, and it's just, like, really weak. Yorkshire tea does the trick every time that's why it's so popular because it can take the the different water type really easily more so than even more so than the tea brands you can buy in germany so if you buy darjeeling or like english breakfast tea or earl grey earl grey is one of my favorite teas not because i like it but because my brother calls it poet's tea <laughs> always makes me laugh like i never he said that as a kid and i never really understand it but when you drink it you're like oh yeah i can see like poets enjoying this tea <laughs> even when you get those brands and they're from german brand names they don't really diffuse in the same way so there is like a the, the whole tea thing's a bit of a funny one but 
for Germans, making tea isn't a big issue because most of them spend their time drinking coffee. It seems to be a more popular drink, certainly, than having a cup of tea. If somebody comes over, you would make them a cup of coffee, usually more than they would make a cup. If you're going to make them a hot drink at all, then you'd make a tea. Pfefferman's tea is quite popular, though, like herby teas, things like that. We have a tea, a tea drawer, but we have like loads of tea, but my wife only has Pfefferman's or Kreuter, usually, if she drinks tea at all. But coffee is definitely what we're drinking in the morning. I mean, tea tea is popular, but certainly much more popular is coffee, right? Yeah, yeah, certainly. I mean, there's a huge part of German culture based on on coffee, and German coffee is different from every other European coffee. It's it's roasted at a higher temperature faster. Um, yeah. So in Britain, make a bad cup of tea, and the mild mannered British will flay you alive and use your skin as a fancy new jacket, and then go around your mum's house <laughs> to make an official complaint about her parenting skills, because tea is it's. <laughs> among a few other topics that seem to rile British people up in an irrational way. Take, for instance, the debate about scones. Now, I'm not going to say the other word because this is just how I was told to to say it. Scones and whether cream or jam goes on a scone first or last. I can't remember what the, the correct combination is, but there seems to be a lot of people online who get very angry about making tea badly or doing scones badly. And there was a, a woman recently, she's American, and she just made, I think she was just trolling British people. She kept making like videos of how to make tea and it, the most improbable tea recipes I'd ever seen. <laughs> like she made one, she made one in the microwave. She made one where she put like lemon soda or something in it, I think. There's lots of just very weird, just British people going complete acker when they saw it, just getting so angry about it. So yeah, the British do love her <laughs> and do want to protect their their cups of tea now germans definitely have an understanding of british tea culture it is such a dominant part of our narrative germans often deny that germanic culture has any real comparison now this always surprised me given the importance that kaffee and kuchen has for many germans i mean i've been invited to lots of german homes to enjoy kaffee and kuchen i've seen weddings stop to supply guests with both and i've walked by many cafes in germany at 3 p.m and found young and old enjoying a slab of cake and a dirty great cup of the black stuff so can you compare cafe and kuchen to like afternoon tea yes you can i guess they're the same right like the sandwiches are different well you have sandwiches there you go there's a start like sandwiches again you can have little sandwiches and you have little cakes whereas in germany you have a cup of coffee and a piece of cake so the sort of the, the ingredients are a little bit different, but it's the same ritual, right? You sit down to sort of talk about crap and natter about things that have happened and gossip and stuff like that. It's kind of the same process. And yeah. you have the word cafe clutch, which is like the gossip that you get out of the coffee coffee morning. Or, so it does serve the similar purpose, I would say. Do you think there's a difference? I mean, one of the things that I think of when I think of like English high tea, maybe at the Ritz or a proper classic tea room like Betty's, is like having a tower on the table with like the finger food. And it's often like mm-hmm. an obstructive element. So like it serves <laughs> as something you <laughs> look at color. and talk to. Whereas cafe and kuchen, like it's yeah. a lot more open plan like everyone's there mm-hmm. with a bit of cake bit of coffee and everyone's normally eating the same thing whereas i think the english one sets up a few more barriers and i'm not sure if if tea is the right time to gossip in traditional uk culture i don't know i think you talk no. about like how, how your stocks are doing more than <laughs> maybe that's just me projecting onto people at the ritz most british people don't do high tea so it's not like that 
the last time I did it, we, we, we were in Marks and Spencers, and it was because we thought it was funny because we saw an advert when we walked past Marks and Spencers, and it's not a place you would really go for high tea. You mentioned the Ritz, or Betty's is another place that does it. Betty's is a chain of cafes, like really high end cafes. It's it's a ceremony in Britain. It's a thing you would buy. You don't go. They don't advertise cafe and cooking time to the like in the bakeries. You just go in and you have cafe and cooking, and that's the. That's the process. So maybe it's not so much a ritual, I guess. Yeah, it's certainly more of an every every man every day kind of thing. Like there's no there's no class to it, uh, and yeah, obviously class permeates everything in in, in British culture. I just think there's no class to it. <laughs> like that perception. It's like there's no class to it, man. It's like oh, well, that's a bit harsh. There's no class stigma. <laughs> yeah, yeah, to no, it. no. I, I didn't understand within the context. It makes sense. I just wasn't. I was thinking when you said it, and I was like, "Oh, whoa, whoa, that's this." But he's going much harder than I expected. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, the range of cakes that you're going to get at Cafe and Kuchen is also something quite special. If if there's one thing that Germany gets right every time, it's cakes. Even the worst cake is is amazing usually. Uh, and obviously many people know the more famous Schwarzwald Torte, which is the Black Forest Gatto. That's very popular in Britain. But many may not know of the Nussschnecken, which is one of my favourite things. I had a very long discussion about Nussschnecken. In fact, I, I bring it up far too much online and people do seem to enjoy talking about them. Uh, Mornschnecken, Nussschnecken, all of these things, that they're basically just a, a twirl of pastry like a Danish. But they were so good, so amazing. We've got the Zvechkin Streuselkuchen, a plum cake, but it's got streusel, which is like buttery pastry on top. It's very, very good. Uh, Schokoladen Mandel uh, Streusel, which is, yeah, it's almonds and chocolate, and just, it's amazing. Mornkranz, which is morn, is poppy seeds, of course. And the Kranz is like a circle, so it's a circular cake. And all of these different types of cakes, and that's not even going into the tortas that you have which uh, just, you could be here for hours. Ask a German about cheesecake and you'll receive a detailed explanation of the difference between Käsekuchen, Käsesahnetorte, <laughs> and Frischkäsetorte, which are all three different things. And if you start arguing about it, you will be there for the next 24 hours because there's a lot of opinions and just calling them cheesecake will upset lots and lots of people. Trust me, I know this from experience. <laughs> I once made the mistake of telling a group of colleagues in my typical non-specific way <laughs> that they were all basically the same thing. That was seven years ago, and they still bring it up when I see them. <laughs> They'll say something about cheesecakes and look at me knowingly, and I'll be like, sorry, guys. <laughs> so there's lots of very, very delicious things. Uh, any of the cakes that I've just mentioned, cakes that you would order yourself, that you would go for? I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a big cake guy, if I'm honest. Like, a lot of these things sound really good. I mean, the Schnecken, I'm, I'm a Rosina and Schnecken guy myself. A little bit mm-hmm. of custard and raisins uh, in the Danish twirl. That's that's probably my jam. I try I mean I've I've already put on enough weight over the second lockdown. I don't need to be adding cake into the mixture. It's just asking for trouble. And, <laughs> but I mean yeah Kaiserkuchen, German Kaiserkuchen is, is really, really good. I, I did develop a bit of a taste for cheesecake in the US and the New York style cheesecake is good. But I was very different the, though, right? The Germans really have, have nailed down a wide range of variations on that cheesecake. It's not as sweet either. It's like mm. the, the American New York cheesecake is quite sweet and it's got a biscuit base most of them don't even have a biscuit base there's like sometimes they've got a cake base you'll see cheesecakes out in the wild outside of germany you'll see a lot of these cakes black frost gatto is a great example better buy them in, in other countries but one thing i've never seen outside of germany is the bienenstick and the bienenstick d- directly translated is the bee sting and it is it's one of the most amazing things that you'll ever eat it's a mix of pastry cream almonds and it is mind-blowing and when it's made <laughs> made correctly 
it's you, you leave the dough to rise overnight and it's quite yeasty and it's it's just the best thing in the world but it's also something that probably kill you quite quickly because it's very very uh, luxurious I guess is the <laughs> word favourite thing from a bakery that was a little bit luxurious I'm inviting you for cafe and kuchen what are you getting I, I'd go for something savoury if I'm allowed to choose what I'm getting I'd end up with something savoury I think really yeah I probably would a ham and cheese croissant right, that'd, be, that'd be good he's coming from left field here I'm not ready for this <laughs> now at the moment there's a lot of the uh, donuts the uh, krapfen as they call them down here Berliner uh, in the north, I mean, yeah, a, a good pudding crapfen. I'd be down for that. Do like a, a vanilla pudding flavour in my donut. There's, there's like these pudding danishes. Could I not tempt you with a flaky pudding based pastry dish? I mean, I'm, I'm salivating right now. I thought it crapped. <laughs> 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 so went into like a, oh yeah, man, I could eat one of those. Beaner stick sounds pretty good. <laughs> it's a beaner sticks are pretty amazing. <laughs> Servus, Starman and Heron. That brings us to the end of our show. We have a couple of thank yous this week. Uh, Karen, Lady Blackadder, Mark, Steve and Peter. Thank you all for retweeting the show. It might seem like a small thing, but it really helps us to grow our audience and it's reflected in the episode stats. Last week's show was one of our most popular so far and that's down to your support. I'd also like to thank Nick for joining Simon's one-man crusade to make us all horse lictor fans. I'm sure Simon totally appreciated that. If you want to help us out with a, a retweet or just want to share the show, don't forget to tag us with hashtag decades from home, all lowercase, so we can find you and give you a shout out on next week's show. As ever, if you have any questions, feedback, or maybe an article or topic you'd like us to cover, you can tweet Simon on at decades from home. You can tweet me at 40% German. You can also get us at 40% German at gmail.com. If you have some time, take a look at 40% German.com. Weekly articles are up every Saturday. All that's left to say is thanks and bis zum nächsten Mal. Tschüss. Kebab shops make up roughly 8% of Britain's built environment. Yet account for nearly 50% of all food eaten on the tiny northern European archipelago. This kebab shop is not for the faint-hearted, with chances for conflict and possibly romance in equal measure. Kebab shops are also the most likely place to find one of its natural wonders, Male Latina Ebrius Est, or drunk English male. All right there, boss. Yeah, good night, yeah, tight. He's stumbling and faintly disorientated due to the 12 pints he consumed earlier. But despite this, drunk English male can still manage to explain what he needs. Uh, give us a kebab and uh, none of that green shit. No, no, more meat. He's quite the specimen, and as is traditional, he refuses all roughage, knowing that only meat will quench his insatiable appetite. More meat, mate, yeah, yeah. Uh... Drunk English male stares angrily around the room. At any moment, this could turn ugly. <laughs> Thankfully, there was another reason for his uncertainty. God, no chilli. Chilli sauce, mate. Yes, yes, mate. Looking good. How much that, mate? How much? Fucking hell. The keen observer will note the important ritual of complaining about the price, a sign that this male is asserting his dominance. All right, boss. There you go. But it's only for show. Mine, there you go. Have a good night. ta With his quarry safely secured, drunk English male heads off into the night. Godspeed, you pissed-up idiot.